You know, this is Lent. We are in, the, in our Lenten series, and that means those are the weeks leading up to Easter, and we're doing something kind of fun with our Lenten series. We're taking a little bit of time. We've been doing it on the sofas and the couch conversation, but we're taking a little time to lock in on this metaphor of the vine and the branches that Jesus taught in John 15. So we've been preaching through John, and we're going to continue doing that. Shelly's going to come bring a sermon on John 17 in just a little while, but during Lent, hi, Shelly. During Lent, we are, we are, she's like, did somebody call my name? Yeah. During Lent, we're shortening the sermon a little bit and having some time to kind of have this conversation around the metaphor of the, of the vine and the branches and the fruit that comes from Jesus' teaching in John 15. And so, like, we talked about the seed two weeks ago, and that's the precious word of God that uh, comes to us through the word, uh, the truths of God that come to us through the word. And then we talked about the soil, just... And we did some homework, didn't we? We had a lot of people had their alarms set at noon to say, Lord, let me prepare my heart to receive your truth. And now we want to talk about the roots. We want to talk about being deeply rooted this week. If the seed is the good news, if the seed is the truth of God's word, the roots are about that seed taking hold in our lives, about that, that truth getting rooted so that we do not get wiped out when the hot sun comes up and the storms blow and the, and, the, and, the, and the waters rise, that we will be, in fact, embedded, uh, our, our truth will be embedded and take hold in our lives. We're going to need that to survive. So, I mean, these are the truths about who God is, salvation, who Jesus is, what life is like, what reality is like, what our hope is. All of those things, you guys, have got to take root in our lives so that we don't forget the truth so that we don't listen to the lies from the world and from the enemy and, and get wiped out of this faith journey. And so we're going to build our, we're going to take our roots and we're going to go like, go, man, these truths have got to be rehearsed down deep so that we're not going to be shaken. In the parable of the soil, where Jesus talks about seed, he says, some of the seed got cast onto the path, the soil was shallow, and it couldn't take root. And so when the sun came up, it scorched the plant and it withered and died. And when he goes on to tell about the meaning of that parable, he says, yeah, because there was no root, like even though the, it's like Jesus said, this is the seed like it's people who say yes to the good news, the truths about God. They're like, this is awesome news. But then because the truth doesn't take hold, when the trials come and persecution comes, they wither and die because they didn't have any root. So even though at first it started working, they forgot what was true. This reminds me a lot of the parable in, in Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount about the wise and the foolish builders who built their house on the sand or the rock. Do you remember this story? I just want to read, look at, listen to this. Therefore, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the truth, that's the precious seed. Everyone who hears these words of mine and, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's like the same idea of because it's the seeds, roots took hold. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, doesn't rehearse these truths, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. And Jesus said, tragically, and it fell with a great crash. 
So this is what we're saying. For us to survive, for us to thrive in this journey with God, we have to rehearse the truths in God's word so that they anchor us for when those storms come. And Lord knows they're going to come. You know that, right? And so we want to be solid in the truth about God. What are some truths, you guys, tell me, a little interaction time. What are some truths that you're like, we got to now forget these? These have to take root, these truths. These are the truths that we got to rehearse. Somebody give me a couple of those truths. Yeah, Meg. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, all right. So I can do everything he brings my way through Christ's strength. Yeah, good. Great. Yeah. Yeah, he will never leave me nor forsake me. He'll never abandon me. Good. Yeah, thanks, Diane. Yeah. What else? Yeah. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's great. Thank you, Carol. Another truth that we have to rehearse or we're going to get wiped out. Yeah. He knows my sins, but he still loves me anyway. Yeah, he knows everything about me but he still loves us and has embraced us. Yeah, good. Good, what's another one? Yeah. Together with Christ, we're co-heirs to the kingdom. To get our identity, we're co-heirs of the kingdom with Jesus. We're kingdom people, that's our identity. Thank you, Lily. Wow, that's, look at you seminary prof over there. <laughs> good, any others come to mind? Yeah, Anne. Seek first God's kingdom and everything will be added to you. You will have, you know how many times this week in pastoral meetings and in conversations with people, I've said, you'll have everything you need for what's ahead if you seek God's kingdom. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Alan. Yeah, Jesus came to give us life. Yeah, oh, by the way, a, a, a corollary to that truth that we have to rehearse, the enemy is the one who s- kills and s- destroys but he's the one that brings life. Yeah, thank you, Alan. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. That's, these are truths that we have to have rooted in us. And so here's what you're gonna do. We're gonna do a little homework. Somebody, got, somebody gave me a bad time about the word homework last hour, and I'm like, you have issues. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> okay, Alicia, buttercup. Yeah. All right. We're doing homework because we're going to work at it. We have to rehearse these truths. And so here's how we're going to rehearse them. Everybody lean forward and get your free journal under the seat in front of you. Oh, are you kidding me? Oprah in the house. You get a journal and you get a journal. Everybody open up your journal and here's what you're going to do. This journal and grab a pen. You're going to take this journal right now. We're going to rehearse some of these truths right now. That on the, We're going to write something at the top of every one of the first seven pages. You're like, seriously? Yes, we're taking time to do this. Grab your pen, and here's what you're going to do. Here's going to be the title. The title is Seven Truths That Must Take Root. So you can put that on the inside cover or on the first page if you want. Seven Truths That Must Take Root. Seven Truths That Must Take Root. And if you got that written already, you can go, or we're going to get wiped out. Seven truths that must take root. And on the first page, number one, this is the truth you're going to write. You got it? Here we go. God loves me and I'm his child. God loves me and I'm his child. And write this reference then next to it. 
Because part of the homework is going to be you're going to go look this up. You, those of you guys online, you're like, I didn't get a journal. Your online community, I know. Grab a piece of paper. Do this with us. And if you've got your computer there online, you can find this whole thing on our website under resources. You'll see the Lent PDF. Rincovenant.org slash resources and click on the Lent PDF and you'll be able to see that. All right, you got it? God loves me and I'm his child. First John 3, 1. Number two, sec- top of second page. Write this. My identity is now in Christ. It's part of what Lily was saying. We are co-heirs with Christ. This is who we are. It has changed everything that we are in Jesus. My identity is now in Christ. Are you able to do this this fast? How are we doing? You ready for three? Okay. I just want to know how, I didn't know, I, th- I didn't know if this was the advanced class. Apparently not. Where are you? <laughs> so we have a lot of school wounds, apparently. A lot of, a lot of people carrying stuff from messages they heard. God bless California public schools. Number three, my sin is totally forgiven. Right? This is what Diane was alluding to. My sin is totally forgiven. And you'll see 1 John 1.9. Those of you new to the Bible, put that little one in front of John. 1 John 1.9. Not the not, not the book of John, but the letter called 1 John. 1 John 1.9. My sin is totally forgiven. Say amen if you've got that one, you're done. Amen. All right, ready? Number four. God will work everything for our good. God will work everything for our good. And you see the verse there, Romans 8, 28. God will work everything for our good. Notice it doesn't say God will only allow good things to happen to us. It says that God will work everything for our good. Okay, everybody got it? Yeah. All right, because we're going to go new slide. Here we go, number five. No, no, somebody needed something? Copy from your neighbor. That's what happens in school. <laughs> number five, spiritual warfare is for real, y'all. Why apostrophe A-L-L? Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Two verses there. 1 Peter 5.8 and James 4.7. I love how somebody's already looking that up in their Bible. They're like, oh, I got to see what that is about because that is in my life right now. Spiritual warfare is real. The whole chapter of Ephesians 6, by the way, if you want to write another verse on there. All right, number six. Number six. The Holy Spirit is transforming me. The Holy Spirit is transforming me. The Holy Spirit is transforming me. That's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
And number seven, Jesus will return and make all things new. Jesus will return and make all things new. Revelation 22, verse 20. Jesus will return and make all things new. This is our hope. Now, that just the practice of writing out that truth, that's why we took the trouble to make you do it and to give you a journal, is the beginning of rehearsing these truths. These are truths that have to take root or we will get wiped out. And this is just seven. Like I sent them to Ben and I'm like, which ones am I missing? And he's like, a hundred of them. Like, what do you mean? Like, these are the truths that... These are the beginning of the truths. And so number eight, page eight, could be another truth you get from Shelley's sermon. And page nine will be another truth. But the point is, is that we have got to have these truths take root. And so your homework is going to be to take this journal and every day spend a day in the next seven days in one of these pages. And on that page, read the chapter from the verse that we just saw, right? Read the whole chapter. Read it in context. And if you have a study Bible with color on every page, it'll just link you to all kinds of other things. Read the Bible for a while. Jot down other ways of saying that truth. Jot down other truths that you see. Write prayers to God. Reflect on your life that's going on right now and go, oh, this one for me. But rehearse that truth so that you are not wiped out. And then memorize the verse. Oh, what now? <laughs> Drop in the gauntlet. What if you memorized one of those verses and then made this thing last seven weeks and memorized all seven of those verses that I gave you? Rudy, I dare you, okay? All the money in my pocket if you do this, okay? The day you come up to, with, to me and rattle off all those verses, I'll give you all the money I have in my pocket that day, okay? I never carry money for, the, for that reason because I promise that stuff all the time. Or maybe some of you are like, are you kidding me? I want to make sure that these truths are embedded against all the lies that I'm feeling. You may, be, you may, be, you may memorize all seven verses in, in this whole week. Like, that's your thing. But whatever you do, get in there, reflect on it. Wrestle with these truths so that they take root. Because the truth is, if we build our house on anything less solid, the storms are going to come. You know the storms are going to come. And the wind's going to blow. And the streams are going to rise. And we're going to fall with a great crash. But that's not what God has for us. As Alan reminded us, he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Okay, is that awesome? Great homework. Great job, you guys. Now let's do this. Let's move forward in worship. And let's come and bring ourselves to the Lord. There's going to be the baskets here in the front and in the back for, um, for your offerings. So anytime during this song, come and bring your prayers on the white cards, your, your tithes, your offerings, your laments, whatever you want to put on, on writing on a card, something like that. But engage with the Lord as we move toward coming to the sermon, but coming to this week of work of rehearsing God's truth. May God meet you as we continue to lean in to him. So let's stand together as we worship and bring our offerings. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So glad you all are here. My name is Shelly if you couldn't see by my name tag. And yeah, and I am the director of student ministry here. So I am so excited um, when Savannah and Kinsley are 
like 13 years from now, 12 years from now, and they are wrecking shop up here in the sanctuary, in the youth room. We always make that joke because student ministry does cause the most damage to the church. Uh, we, we have caused holes in the walls. We have taken all the things off. It's just, you know, they get excited and they, uh, students get excited and their brain shuts off and things become just a really fun playground. Uh, but I love what I do. I love hanging out with students, but I want to share something else that I love. Since we're getting to know each other with name tags, hopefully you got to know someone else and maybe found out something about them. But something that I love is I love movies that are based on a true story. Anybody else love movies that are based on a true story? Yes. Like it hits us in the feels, right? And I probably, uh, I've developed this love because of my parents and my parents parents are always sending me these movies, always based on true stories. And like, it's really sweet because I really get to see my parents get really emotional when they watch these movies. Like you're sitting there and my dad's eating popcorn and just tears coming down. As I'm like, yes, I love that. Um, but I love these movies mostly because there's really incredible speeches in based on true story movies, right? It comes to the climactic point in the story and the main character has to make a choice of what direction they're gonna go, down the hard path, the rewarding path, or are they gonna just give up? And there's always these speeches that come in right at clutch and they really drive home the heart of what's happening and it helps the main character go, okay, I'm gonna choose this. I'm gonna choose this path. And they're really inspiring, right? You listen to them and it's like, wow, like I could do anything based on what that person said. And my favorite movie since literally it came out when I was in elementary school was Remember the Titans. This movie, oh, it has not changed from my number one spot since it came out. I love this movie. There's something about football movies and speeches that really get me. And so I love Friday Night Lights, the TV show, but I especially love this one because it's based on a true story and Coach Boone, his speeches, oh, they just hit me in the core. And the climactic moment, if you remember from this movie, is when they're in Gettysburg and they're at the training camp and the players are fighting because they don't like each other because of all the segregation and racism that they had experienced. And now bringing two schools together that are totally different, there's all this tension. And Coach Boone had them run early in the morning, had them run all the way down to the field of Gettysburg. And it was in this moment that he gave a speech and this speech was climactic because it was a game changer for the players. And he talked about the field and he talked about what his vision and heart was for the team. And he said, one of the things he said was that soldiers died on this field fighting for the same fight we're still fighting today. And what's significant for that, that moment, why it was climactic is for the first time, the players really allowed their hearts to hear what their coach has been saying all along, to hear what the coach has been wanting to them to do. And it's like at that point in the movie, all of a sudden they become this powerhouse of a team because they become a brotherhood. They become, they see each other, they start to get to know each other and they actually are able to be together. And I, I love that. And it was a game changer for this team was that moment, that climactic speech. 
Well, we have been reading over the last couple weeks Jesus' final address to his disciples. And we started like all the way in John chapter 13, all the way through, now we're in John chapter 17. It's this final speech that Jesus is giving to his disciples. And to me, I look at it, man, it's this like climactic moment. I mean, the cross is really like the climactic moment for our faith, but for his disciples who had no idea what was about to happen, this was huge for them. Jesus is giving his final words, his final messages that he really wants them to hear before he dies on the cross and rises again. And what I love is in this speech, in the final thing that Jesus does is he prays for his disciples and he prays for future believers. And what I love about prayer is prayer is, is this deep place that we get to intimately hear people's hearts. Like if, you, if someone were to listen in on, into your prayers, it would be this really vulnerable place of where you would hear your heart cries, your passions, your desires, your worries, your fears. And so the fact that Jesus ends this speech with a prayer to me is just so intimate. We get to actually hear his heart and his passions, and that gets to allow his disciples to settle that into their hearts with whatever they're about to face in the coming days. And so this morning, I want to look at John 17. So if you want to grab a Bible, you can open with me to John 17. We're going to look at the the section where Jesus is specifically praying for his disciples. So we're going to actually just start in verse 9, because I had to shorten it, but not that short. So bring out your Bibles. We're going to read this together. Okay, so John 17, verse 9 says, I pray for them, being the disciples. I'm not praying for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the, word has ha- the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. I love um, this passage because we come to this moment where Jesus prays for his disciples. And this prayer, I really feel like, is a prayer where Jesus is showing us and speaking over them the mission that he is calling them to, the mission that they have seen over the years, over the last three years, they've been walking along, seeing Jesus live this out, and now he's passing this on to them. And so, and this prayer was specifically originally for the disciples who had been walking alongside them. But as people of faith, as Christians, we have been um, followers of Christ that have been built on this message that the apostles gave to people, that the apostles shared. And so we get to live into this prayer because we are also on the same mission of being messengers 
just like the first disciples. So while this prayer is for the the first disciples, it's also for us because we are carrying on that tradition that we have been given, the message that they were given to share, we also are given to share. Now, when I look at this prayer, I wanna clarify one thing because I think there's a lot of like, Um, confusing language with like a us versus them or us versus the world. And there's a lot of this sort of tension within this passage. And I think it can be really easy out of context to miss what's being said. And out of context, this prayer could feel like an us versus them. Like we've got our little Christian bubble and then there's the world out there. And we can easily get lost in knowing, well, that Like, maybe Jesus doesn't care about the world because he says, I'm praying for you all, but I'm not praying for the world. But that's not what Jesus is actually saying at all. Like, we've been going through all of John all year long so that we could read all the pieces in context of what's being said. And when you read the whole gospel of John, you know that Jesus' words, ministries, actions, parables that he shared, they all displayed that God loves the world and that he cares deeply about every person, and he is here because he cares so much about those in the world. I mean, we read like months ago, John 3, 16, which said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus loves the world. I mean, he entered into humanity to save the world. I mean, he came to bring life and healing in the broken world so that it could be redeemed. He came to shine his light in the darkness so that people could know his loving truth. And so we need to remember Jesus's words and actions to know when we read this prayer, it's not saying that Jesus doesn't pray for the world. No, Jesus loves the world and has been ministering to the world over and over again. But there's, he's taking this moment right now to pray for his disciples. He's, taking this, he's making a distinct prayer for his disciples because he knows he's going to die on the cross, rise again, and his disciples are gonna be remaining in the world. And he's like, and he knows it is not gonna be easy to be a messenger of Christ. And so he is praying for them in this moment. Just because he's not praying for the world does not mean he doesn't care, he deeply cares. But he goes, I've gotta pray for you right now because you have no idea what's coming. You have no idea what it means to live on mission with me when I'm not there. And so he wants to pray for them in this moment. And there's two things that Jesus prays for. And the first thing that I look at is Jesus prays for protection. So twice in this prayer, you can see Jesus prays for his disciples' protection. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then he says later, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. When I look at this prayer protection, it reminds me a lot of um, when we take students on mission trips. And one of the big things that we pray for students is we pray for protection for them. And here's our group from, gosh, the last time we went on a mission trip was 2019. And then we went to Alaska. And before we went to Alaska, we had our parents come and our parents prayed over our students. And I'll never forget, um, one of our parents, Todd Schneider, had this powerful prayer for our students. And he prayed for encouragement. He prayed for protection. He prayed for God to move in and through our students, in and through the community. Like, I just remember walking away and going, wow, Todd, like, it was so powerful and so good. And I think for me, what hit me in that moment 
was that, gosh, our students have no idea what it means to go on a mission trip right now. But I've been on a mission trip so many times that I know that there are challenges that you face on mission trips, and the prayer of protection is so key and important. I mean, going on so many different student mission trips, we have students, they get all excited, but then they get there, and we have students that get homesick, or students that feel really uncomfortable and don't maybe want to do some of the things that we're doing. There's health issues that arise. There's even conflicts that can come about that would try to divide our group. And so when I heard Todd's prayer, I was like, yes, Lord, that's what we need. And I think our students were probably a little bit more like the disciples, where they're like, okay, wow. Like, I mean, let's think about it. Peter was just like, Lord, I am not going to deny you. No, I've been with you. Like, I'm so excited. And he's like, no, you're going to deny me. And so they, in my mind, I go, I don't think they had a clue of how their life was going to fully change in the coming days when Jesus would die and rise again and they were called to this mission of sharing the message of Christ. And I think that is why Jesus was thinking, man, this is not going to be easy. So I'm going to pray for your protection. I know you, he's like, I know you've seen me be questioned and rejected, but you have yet to see me die on the cross. You have yet to know what it actually takes to follow God and the challenges that could arise with that. And they had no clue how their lives would change. And you read in the book of Acts that, man, there was a lot that came into their lives. There's challenges, imprisonment, conflicts, even death, that Jesus was praying for protection, that they would not crumble under the pressures that they would face. And I really think that's what Jesus' prayer is. Jesus' prayer of protection is not so that we would avoid any trouble, avoid any pressures. I mean, Jeff read last week John um, 16. This is actually my favorite verse, John 16, because it feels so real to me where Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus isn't saying, my protection is so you could stay in this, this cushy little um, space of yours where no harm will ever come to you, no pressures will ever come to you, no stress would ever come to you, no, um, nothing will hurt you. No, what he's saying is, I'm protecting you so that you can keep your eyes on me. I'm protecting you so that you would not divert from the path that gives you life, but that among all the pressure and the stress that you face, that I am protecting you to keep going towards me. That's his protection. His protection is from anything that may try to steal, kill, or destroy our connection to the way, the truth, and the life. That is what he's protecting us from. We will have trouble. We will have stress. We will have pressure in our life. But Jesus is coming and saying, I'm going to protect you so that you can look towards me because I am your hope. I am your life. I am your peace. Look to me as you face those things. Look to me. And so Jesus knows for his disciples, knows for us, that living on mission with him, that following Jesus is not going to be easy. And so he's praying for our protection, that nothing would divert us from the path of Christ. He's praying that we would know, even among all of that, all the temptations that we face, that we can always look towards him and he can guide us through it. But then there's also another part that Jesus prays, and Jesus prays for God's word to sanctify 
God's word to sanctify. And um, we've talked about this many times throughout the year that sanctification is to be made holy. To be made holy. Now, what this is not is it's not you are made perfect today and everything's all put together and nothing will ever go wrong. No, to be made holy is an ongoing process where we become more aligned with God that we begin to reflect God's passions. Does that make sense? You become more and more aligned with God that you begin to reflect more of who God is and his passions in the world. And the Greek word that's used here for sanctify is hagazo, which means to separate something from profane things and dedicate it to God. And I love this idea of dedicate. I mean, we dedicated a baby this morning and we made commitments that said, yes, we are going to participate in this child's faith journey. The parents said, yes, we're going to participate in allowing this child to grow up in the church. And so there's this dedication that happens that's really, I think, incredible when we think about this sanctification process. Um, And what is being said is by God's word, the disciples are dedicated to God and to the service of God. In other words, through hearing, receiving, and believing God's word, they're now part of God's purpose and mission. They're dedicated to the task that Jesus has entrusted to them, to share the hope of the good news of the gospel, and to serve others with love and compassion. And when I think of this idea of dedicate, I think even more of canine search and rescue dogs, right? Like they are incredible. What they did with, um, in any sort of disaster, whether it was Hurricane Katrina or whether it was 9-11, these dogs are out there searching and rescuing people. And these dogs, they, when they say, what's the quality for the dogs that you have? It's that they have agility, they have drive, they have passion, they have, um, <laughs> I love this, an uncontrollable desire to keep fetching for something. So you know those dogs where they like, can't stop getting the ball? Those dogs kind of annoy me. I'm like, stop. So I, had, I always had growing up the dogs that love to cuddle and love to like, just sit on your lap. My, like my dogs could never have been search and rescue dogs. But what's different about a dog that just likes to chase a ball or a dog that sits on the couch and a search and rescue dog is a search and rescue dog goes through so much training to be able to look and search for people in disasters. They go through hundreds of hours of training. And it's not just the initial training that sets them apart as as a search and rescue dog, but it's the ongoing training that they do every week, every day to prepare for when disaster strikes. And so these dogs, because of their ongoing training, are then continually dedicated to the service of search and rescue. They're dedicated to serving the community in that way because of the training that they engage in continually. And as Christians, man, God's word is our training. Diving into God's word is our training. When we dive into his word every day and hear it, receive it, believe it, we become more and more aligned with God's passions. We become more and more aligned with seeing things the way that God sees them. And we then want to engage in that. So when you spend time in God's word, when you spend time in prayer, God is dedicating you to then go and serve others. He's training you and preparing you to go out and serve and live missionally. And this, is, this missionally idea is not just for pastors or the Mother Teresas of the world, but it's for 
each and every one of us that is wanting to follow Christ. Because God has placed you in unique circles and in unique neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, because he is, he is wanting you as you are, you are being transformed by God's word, he is wanting you to overflow with that in the communities around you. He's wanting you to be a part of this mission. And so when I look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, man, I go, it propels me, and I think propels us to participate in his mission to the world. And I am super passionate about this idea of living missionally wherever we are, because I believe if I am reading God's word, if I'm spending time in prayer, it is, is to transform my heart, yes, but if I stop there, then I'm missing out on all that God is calling me to. And God is calling us to be loving, compassionate, forgiving, joyful people that is serving in our different communities, that is sharing the hope that we are experiencing because of what God has done in our lives. And Jesus knows that's not going to be easy because it's going to make us uncomfortable at times. So he prays for protection. But he knows that he is training us each and every day. He is making us holy, making us set apart to go out and share this good news with others. And I know, like, I, I should say, I love that um, we are doing this idea of being rooted in Scripture. We're rooted in Scripture, and the, the, the goal is to be transformed, but then for that to flow out to wherever we are, to wherever God has placed us, to share the hope of Christ. He has entrusted us with this mission. He entrusted his first disciples, and look at where the church is today. But he is entrusting each and every one of us with this mission to share his good news with all that we have been learning in John. He wants us to share that goodness with those around us. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And we are um, going to have a time of worship. And I want to encourage you, let's rehearse this truth. Let's rehearse God's truth. Let it transform our hearts, but let it also sanctify us so that we may know that we are dedicated to also be a part of God's missional work in the world, that he wants us to be a part of what he is doing. So let me pray for us, and then let's worship. Jesus, I thank you so much for your prayer. I thank you that you knew um, all that we would face, all that would be ahead of us, and you prayed for protection, and you prayed that we would be continually um, trained in your word so that we may overflow with compassion and love and goodness and forgiveness to a world that is deeply craving your hope. And so I pray that we would have a heart and a vision where we love the world like you love the world in the way that we wanna bring redemption and we wanna be a part of the search and rescue that you are doing in this world. So help us to live more missionally to see those around us that we can come alongside and share your love. We love you, Jesus, in your awesome and truly precious name. Amen.